0: Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to James 1, we're going to make her out of this chapter, I think, today. Oh, children's church. Follow the Pied Piper there, Gloria. There we go. It's so James 1, and we're probably going to uh, back up a little to 22, go through the end, but... Uh, I'll ask the question, have any of you been practicing your listening this week? Or have any of you been practicing being slow to speak this week? James is going back into it this week again. These are attributes that I think as Christians that we need in our life and that we don't always show. And so, verses 22 on, But be doers of the word, and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he was like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So James has told us to be slow to speak and and quick to listen. That means that we have to exercise self-control in our life because many times we don't do that. Many times uh, we want to be talking about all the things that we want to say. We live in a society where, where everybody thinks everybody's opinion needs to be known all the time. And what I really have found in, in my walk, especially over the later years of my life, is to wait upon the Lord. To really give him control of the situations instead of taking situations into our own hands. And so now James is going from that to be slow to speak and quick to listen and living out what we profess to believe. And to really, what does that look like? And he gives us a picture here of, of two types of religions, he says. Uh, a religious that is useless, and a religion that is pure and undefiled. And he really says, we have a choice in this. And these choices, he's going to say, are going to hinder sort of on what we do with our tongue. And he's talking about deception again, just as he said, you know, be slow to speak and, and, and quick to listen. And to be a doer. And not a here, only deceiving ourselves. He goes back into this and tells us in in verse uh, 26 the very same thing. If you think you are religious and do not bridle your tongue, but deceives his own heart. So many times when we deal with people, we talk with people and they say, well, you know, in my heart, I think this is right. Well, my heart is telling me this. My heart is telling us that. You know that the Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. That, that we don't even know our own heart. God knows our heart, but we don't know our own heart and that's why we depend upon God's word and not our emotions and not our feelings. Our heart is many times driven by emotions and feelings and, and circumstances that, that whirl around us and so our heart can be led astray very easily and the Bible says it can be dis, uh, you know very wicked and so we base our our findings and our in our walk and our Truth upon God's word and not just our emotions. James says that if any of us thinks we are religious and yet do not bridle our tongue, he says, we're deceiving ourselves. That's a pretty interesting talk when you, when you think about it. A pretty interesting uh, statement. But it sort of goes along the, the verses of 22. We deceive ourselves. We deceive our heart if we think that we are religious but we're not controlling our actions. If we're not controlling our thoughts. Now, I like Philippians where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's the one that's going to give me the ability to control my tongue. He's going to give me the ability to be slow to speak. He's going to give me the ability to really be an attentive listener to people that need to be heard. See, my nature is not that way. Our nature is actually contrary to all those things. And so James is going to tell us here, if we claim to love God and to follow God, but we're not doing what he says, he says we're deceiving ourselves. And I rehash these scriptures all the time, but Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Or he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I command? See, we have a profession that we can sometimes make, but does our walk match our profession, or does our walk match our talk, as the common saying is going on. And he says if it doesn't, he says our religion is useless. Now, as evangelicals, I don't think we like this word religion because we look at, oh, we're putting God in a box or it's an organization. I don't think James is talking about that. We like to talk about relationship, and James does too. And the the most important thing that we have is a relationship this way with God, (laughs) that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. But a religion to the world is those things that we profess. And so James is going to be dealing with hypocrisy here. We say one thing, but we do another. And he says, it's really a a useless religion. It's really a destructive religion. And so when the world says a lot of times, oh, those Christians are all hypocrites, why do they think that? Because most of the time we are. We're walking that way. We're professing, oh, God's the most important thing to me. Until money comes in. Oh, the Lord's the most important thing to me until my agenda trumps it. See, James says our profession needs to match our walk. And I'd rather deal with somebody that's struggling with something and they're honest about it and you know that that's where they're at than somebody that's professing some pie-in-the-sky religion and their walk is way down here. And so James is using just our tongue. A very small thing, a very small organ in our body, as sort of a a measuring stick of this. And so, when he's talking about our professed devotion to God, our question needs to be, is what I'm proclaiming as a Christian, Christian meaning Christ follower, by the way, is my profession as a Christian matching my walk? And if not, why isn't it? Is it because I'm putting things in, in front of God? God's a jealous God. He wants to be the pinnacle of our life. Am I putting other things before him? Am I taking things into my own hand? The the world does this a lot. And when I say the world, I mean us. We have this nature in us. As a man, I can't speak for a woman, but as a man, sometimes when things seem to be going out of control, I want to take control of the situation. I want to fix it. I want to make it right. I want to do what I think is right. But again, the scriptures say there's a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is destruction. It says everyone thinks that what they're doing is right in their own eyes, but does not line up with the word of God? So when James is talking about religion, he's talking about our professed beliefs. Do you really trust in God for your situation? I just don't see how we're going to make it. Are you trusting God in that situation? I just don't know how that's ever going to happen. Are you trusting God or are you doing it yourself? See, we can profess devotion all day long, but really actually have no relationship with God. I believe that the world is full, and the churches this morning around the world are full of people that have this form of godliness, but they've denied the power of the Spirit in their life. They've denied their dependence upon God in day-to-day living. They have figured out what they think needs to be done, and we jump the horse on God. There's a sovereignty of God. God knows all things, and, and we always think, well, our emotions are this and that, that they sort of, well, I know and I know. Do you really? Have you waited upon the Lord? James has a lot to say about tongue. This is just the beginning of it. Chapter 3 says quite a bit more. Maybe we'll get there eventually. We sort of are poking through James here. But he has a lot to say about our tongue, about the words that we say, how we say them. Sometimes it's not just the words we say, but sometimes how we use those words. It's easy to get critical on people because they say a curse word or something out of context. But what about The daggers that we say with words. What about the hurtful words that come out? Are we controlling those things? Does God have control of these things in our life? Here he says we need to control our tongues. Because it's an indicator of really our religious devotion. Our tongue, our words is an indicator of our relationship with God. I've never thought about that much. And, you know, I've gone through James a lot of times. It's one of my favorite books. And and it wasn't until just, you know, a a month or so ago when I started reading James and reading James and reading James that I said, he's really trying to say something. here. That my relationship with God is going to come out a lot of times in the words that I say. It's fascinating, I think, to think about that a, a tongue can make so much of a statement about our relationship with God. You know, there's a, a scripture It says that uh, in Proverbs eighteen twenty-one, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Now, Proverbs of probabilities, I sort of look at that as a warning. You know, in, 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 what does it say? In the abundance of words, sin is not far off. Have we bridled our tongue? Have we we held our, our tongue in check? Luke says this, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. We talk about emotions. We talk about professions. I can make all these professions. I can say all these things, but you know, when I get mad, what comes out? I want you to think about that. Married couples, friends, we get angry and and we shoot daggers. We say mean things, hurtful things, spiteful things, untrue things, maybe even assumptions. Is that what's in our heart? I think so. We need to submit our heart to God. We need to wait upon him. We need to think many times before we speak. Because something about the words we say indicates really what's going on in our heart. It doesn't take long when you talk to somebody to to really, as you're having a conversation, to see what's important in their life or, or to really see what's going on in their life. Are they joyful? Are they happy? Are they bitter? Are they resentful? Are they angry? All these things sort of flow out as you just listen long enough. If you want a heart that has the joy and the peace of God, you rest upon Him. You wait upon Him. Many times, the words that come out are a direct reflection of what's going on inside. And God wants our heart. James says we must be in control of our tongue. Some translations use the word um, bridle or a rein or a bit. I think of a bit, you know, and I remember. I'm not much of a horse person. I used to ride a little bit when I was, but I remember even a broken bit they used to say. But you can control a, a big animal with this little thing. James will tell us later that this little thing controls us. But have you ever heard the saying, bridle your tongue? Sort of means get it under control. Have a tight rein on those things. We must control our tongue. And he says, if we don't, he says, our religion is useless. All the things we've tried to build up and all the glory that we try to give God can, can be dashed in just a few words. You know, the words are something that, that that come out that we can't take back. People hear them and it sticks with them. I can still remember things from my childhood that people said and I've forgiven them. I can still remember them though because they were said. There was a a little commentary on this, you know, what do you think it's worse to, to, to say something harmful or to steal something? The one person said, I think it's worse to say something harmful because if I steal something, I can return it or I can pay restitution for it. But he says, when I say those words, those words go out and they can do irreparable damage to people. That's why in my life, you know, and my wife is sort of my barometer. A lot of times if we're sitting together, she's kicking me under the table, you know. Sort of those things. Hey, slow it down a little bit. Because she knows I'm the type, too, that wants to say something. Maybe that doesn't need to be said at times. And so we must be careful. We must guard our hearts. Because we don't really want to demonstrate this worthless religion. The wonderful thing about the scriptures are, wherever there's a problem, God gives us the solution. And so, so does James, verse 27. Pure and undefiled. So he's talking about a, a useless religion, which is a religion that doesn't give God the credit or the glory. It's all about us. It's all about you know, our hearts, our emotions, our feelings. We're not bridling things. And so we become a, a hypocrite in the world around us. But here's the solution, he says. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. I like that. He doesn't just say pure and undefiled religion is this before the world. He says before God and the Father is this. This is what God is looking at for us in our life. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What does it mean when James says to look after orphans and widows? I think it's pretty clear he wants us to look after orphans and widows, right? He's writing to a time back there, first century church, probably just the churches are just getting going. They didn't have quite programs like we have today. And when a woman would lose her husband, a lot of times she was pretty destitute. Because in biblical times, up until fairly recent history, a lot of times the men were the ones that would leave the house to go out and work, and the women were in charge of raising the children and keeping the home in order. Both equally challenging, by the way, and both uh, actually, I think kids and and, uh, home can be a little bit more exasperating, I think. But that's sort of the way it was, and so when a husband would die, the woman was sort of left in, in somewhat of a helpless state to fend for herself. There wasn't social programs that would step in and help her, and so either the family would step up and help her, or um, you know she'd have to figure something out for herself. I mean, we can look at the Book of Ruth. You know, uh, Life was difficult for, for women and children. We know the story of Ruth if you read through that, Uh, but without husbands and fathers, life became very challenging. And orphans here doesn't necessarily mean without both parents. A lot of times it was without the father in the home. It was maybe a mother raising her children alone. So think about that. Do we see that in the world today? Quite a bit. Much more than we would ever want to, right? And so James is telling us one of the things is to take care of Uh, those that have a need, those that that really have a need. So now in the world today, I'll just say this, and I don't want to be harsh with this, but there's the needy and there's the greedy. So there are those that will take anything, any handout that comes to them, if they need it or not. They just want that. But there are those around, and this is the importance of building relationships with people, of knowing your community, of knowing your neighbors, of of knowing your church family. You will see those that, that have an actual need. And you know, most of the times what I find out is people that have a true need are not the ones that are asking for help. And so we need to listen. We need to understand. We need to have discernment, as God would have us to have. See, so what he's saying, take care of widows and orphans, he knew that it wasn't God's design uh, for a woman to be alone or the children to be without a father. But unfortunately, we live in a world today that does that. And so, they were particularly vulnerable in biblical times. Like I said, they didn't have a whole lot of social programs, a whole lot of things going on. uh, But that doesn't make a difference. It really doesn't make a difference in what the church's uh, responsibility is. 1 Timothy says this, Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own households and to... Uh, make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God I find this very interesting in our society today because many times when our parents become a burden we ship them off right Um, I know Carol was taking care of her mother she's up there every day taking care of her mother she knew physically maybe they couldn't do it at home but she was there involved in her life Julie and I have worked in nursing homes in the past and have We've done ministry in nursing homes, as maybe some of you have done, and you know those families that are left alone, those adults that are left alone. The Bible tells us that as children, we have a responsibility towards our parents, and we know that we can't always take care of them right in our house, but we still have a responsibility to love for them and and to take care of them the best that we can. And so it says, Honor those who are truly widows, but if a widow... Has children or grandchildren? Let them learn to show godliness to their own household, and to take some, make some return to their parents. And he says this is pleasing in the sight of God. This is another way that we have pure and undefiled religion: is by taking care of those that we can, those that are vulnerable, those that are struggling with things. And then James says this: secondly, unstained from the world. He say, how in the world can we do that? Aren't we sinful people? Yes, we are. We are tempted, we are oppressed, we are crushed from every side, but we have a hope in Christ. And again, as Philippians says, this is one of my staple verses that I love. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have a fond memory of my grandma. And uh, as I was reading through this, this memory came back. That I remember one time eating, and and I do this all the time. I got a big belly, so sometimes when I eat, I get stains, right? Okay? But I remember when I was young I was either eating something or drinking something and it, it got on my shirt and my grandma immediately went to the sink and she got the washcloth and she, she started getting that stain out. And I started thinking, what if we as Christians did that? In our Christian walk and all of a sudden we see something that has stained us and we say, I don't want this anymore. And, and we get rid of it and we allow the love of Christ in obedience to his word, to wash that stain away through repentance and forgiveness. Wouldn't that be great? One of the statements my grandma used to always make, I want to get that stain out before it sets in. Some of you know that, right? If you let let something sit too long, maybe it's going to permanently mark that piece of clothing. Well, that's what Jesus has come for in our lives. He doesn't want the sin of the world, the stains of this world, to set in in our life. He wants us to deal with these stains. And so James can tell us to be unstained from this world. He can tell us that this is pleasing to God, to keep oneself unspotted from these things. The scriptures give us a lot of things. You know, it says, put no vile thing before your eyes. We live in a society now where we Whatever is good is masquerade also, or can also be very bad. So, so we have access to the computers. And computers are great. Computers, you can find out all sorts of things. I mean, they're, they're a wealth of knowledge. You know, I, I think back of the preachers, the circuit-writing preachers, who knew their Bible inside out, not because they could Google it on their phone, but because they knew where it was at. I mean, they studied and studied and studied. They knew it for that. We can look up all sorts of resources and and find all sorts of resources and blessings and all sorts of things on that internet, but we can also find the darkest side of the world on there. We can watch a a TV program at home that is very good and challenging and and, and just a blessing or just entertainment sometimes, just fun to watch. But then we can also see some terrible stuff on the TVs today. I I remember when I was a little kid, sort of dating myself, but... You know, probably the, the, the worst thing I would see on, on TV back then was the Doublemint Girls. I mean, they were sort of toasty back then, you know. And now, I mean, that's, that's nothing today compared to what you see. So when we see those things, do we have the discipline in our life to turn those things off, to walk out? There's been a couple movies in the past that Julie and I, we've gone to, oh, that sounds like a good movie, we've walked in there, and a few minutes into the movie, it's like, that's not for us. And we just walk out. We don't ask for a refund. Nothing. Just to say we don't want that in our minds. We don't want that in our lives. We need to have some of that self discipline in our life for those things, because the Bible says that we can be conformed to the world instead of transformed by the gospel. That's what the beginning of Romans talks about. You know, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you can prove what is the good, acceptable and perfect will of God. See, it takes some effort on our place. And again, whenever I'm in James, I always say this, we're not doing these things for our salvation, we are doing these things because of our salvation. We must be careful. We need to seek holiness and righteousness. We need to seek these things, purity in our life, not to be holier than thou, but to be closer to God. We want to be closer to him. And so we have this lifetime journey in our Christian walk where as we spend time in his word, and again, this is the importance of being in the word of God, that he is speaking to us, that he is drawing us to us, to himself. This is why we have prayer time and we speak to God and not just speaking to him, but listening to him because he's doing a work in our life and he will reveal the, the innermost thoughts. It is his word that, that shows us the dark side of us as well as the hope that is in us and his great love for us, because he finds value in us. These are great things that he can have for us. And so James sort of categorizes this two ways, and and it's really having a compassion or love for others and a devotion towards God. So the disciples, they they wanted to argue about what's the most important. They weren't arguing, but it's our nature to say, What's the, what's the most important thing? Because I just want to do the most important thing. So what's the most important command, God? And he told him. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. That's this one here, to be right with God. We take the Lord's table. When we come unworthily, and we're not really... Wanting to deal with sin in our life, we're not wanting to face things in our life. We just take it, we're really making a mockery of what Christ came to die for. So that's why it's better to let it pass. But he says, love the Lord your God with with everything that you got. Your whole being, basically, is what he said. You need to love God first. But then he said, the second is like that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? Because we love ourselves quite a bit. We think that we're right. We think that we got it together. We think we're on the right track. But he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and through the New Testament many times, it says, esteem others greater than yourself. Well, what do you mean? He's not as good as me. I'm better than him. No, it says, esteem others. Treat others greater than yourself. It also tells us, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. That's sort of a conflict in in the world we live in today, because they want us to think so highly and so grand of ourselves, And so we lose the humility. We lose the, the, the sense of, of really who we are. And when God is our standard, or Christ is our standard, instead of trying to compare ourselves to others, because the scriptures again tell us, he who compares himself to another is not wise. Because if I'm going to go compare myself to people I don't have far to go. I work in a prison. I can compare myself to all those people. I can start feeling pretty good about myself. But as Dale Moody would say, but there by the grace of God go I. But when I compare myself to Christ, oh, something's changed. The way I look at myself. I need to be humble in those very things. And so he echoes just that, that sentiment over and over again to, to love others and to love God. And that's what he's saying. So, do you have a useless religion in your life? Is, is your faith really um, in line with your profession? When the world looks at you, would they say, oh, yeah, he's a Christian? You know, I, I had a discussion with somebody this last week, and I said, you know, there are those that um, tend to exaggerate, and, and us hunters are, are great at that because. You know, you catch a fish, you know, but you... Oh, yeah, I was catching. I caught hundreds of fish, man. They're just biting crazy. Well, I probably caught 12, okay? But we say I caught 100. So, oh, yeah, that buck I missed, man. He was like this. You wouldn't believe it. was like Bullwinkle going... Oh yeah? I've had trail cams out around this whole section for three years, and we've never seen anything bigger than an 8-point. You know? People lose credibility with those things. And we do exaggerate, and it's it's just... Something that we do. Those are all nice words for lies, by the way. But, you know, we do those things. But when you have the credibility, when your yes is yes and your no is no, when people say, you know what, if he said it, I believe it, that's what we want our profession in Christ to be. I love God. Oh yeah, why doesn't your action show it? Well, are you questioning my love for God? No, I'm questioning your actions your actions aren't in line with your profession. I want my profession and I fall short. I fall short all the time. But I want my profession to match my walk with God. And I think we all do. Sometimes we can get frustrated. Sometimes we can get beat ourselves up and say it's useless. I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep failing. Well guess what? We're going to fail throughout this whole life. But God has given us a promise. He's got a greater place He's got a place that I'm going to call home for all eternity. And I know when I'm there, I will see him as he is, and I will be like he is. And he has that power in our life. But our eternal life, by the way, doesn't start when we die. Our eternal life starts when we enter into that relationship with Christ. And he spends that whole time purifying us, drawing us, cleansing us, working with us in our life. I would hope that that's your prayer. Martin Luther said this, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. I say amen to that. Your religion, your faith, is going to cost you something. It's going to be some sacrifices that go along the the path. It's going to be denying yourself some things that that maybe the rest of the world has. It, It might be giving up one of your preferences for somebody else's preferences. It might be being woken up in the middle of the night to to go sit with a friend that's going through a struggle. It's going to cost us something in our life. But the rewards are so much greater when we get to heaven. You know, when when Billy Graham was interviewed, I can't remember, I think it was uh, Barbara Walters, I think years and years ago, she said, what do you want to hear when you get to heaven? I'm thinking this should be good, because Billy Graham, I mean, man, you know, I want to see all these people thanking me. And He says, all I want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. Is that our prayer? Should be. The challenge for this week is along the ways of the tongue again anyways. I want you to think about how you speak to your family. You know, in church we could all speak pretty nicely to one another, but I want you to think about how you speak to people in your church family too. Because regular families are like church families. Sometimes we get on each other's nerves. Sometimes we offend one another. And so we can say hurtful things and do hurtful things. But think about how you speak to your family. Think about how you speak to strangers. You know, whenever I say this, Black Friday conjures up nightmares. And I don't like Black Friday. But I've watched film clips of people wrestling on the floors over a cabbage patch doll or something. You know, like that. Think about your testimony, how you speak to strangers. You might meet somebody this week that just needs a word of encouragement. Maybe it's just, hey, have a nice day as you pass them on the street. Be an encouragement. Think about how you speak to strangers. Think about how you speak to people at work, your family, again, your church family. Think about the words that you use. And just really, maybe even just sort of think about the thoughts that you're saying before you say them. Does this really need to be said? Is it helpful? Is it going to glorify God? You know, Sometimes things need to be said. I'm not saying we just walk around tight-lipped. Sometimes things need to be said, but it should be really with thought. And that's what James is saying. We want our profession to match our walk. We want our words to edify God. Whatever you do, it says, in word and in deed, do it all to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for this church family. Lord, we just think of um, the learning that goes on over the years. We think of the lives that have been changed. We think of the lives that will be changed. Lord, we are looking forward in anticipation to what you have to do. Lord, we pray that you continue to uh, mold us as your body here in Boyd and Stanley area in the surrounding communities lord help us to be a blessing to those that we come in contact with lord we are here just for a short time even though it seems long you know we we have some of our pillars that pass in 90 years and we say oh they lived a long life but compared to eternity it's it's just a a a whisper of smoke and so father Help us to view those things, that the things that we're sowing into the world, the things that we're sowing into our family, the things that we're sowing into our church body, have eternal benefits, have eternal value. And so, Lord, we just ask this, and and just ask that you bless each of us this week. Bring before each of us this week, I just pray, an opportunity that we know is undeniably you working in our life. Lord, help us to guard our tongue. Help us to guard our heart. Help us to guard our eyes. We ask all this now in Jesus' name.